Let's pray together. God, thanks so much uh, for this morning. Thank you for just that incredible time of worship. And uh, God, I needed that message this morning that we are not bound by fear, uh, but when we live in your love, man, life is awesome and amazing. And I'm thankful for that message to me this morning. And I pray that, God, as we look into your word, that you would open up your word, that you would make it come alive to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you brought your Bible, open up to Psalm 71. We're going to be in Psalm 71. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can open up the Riverage app and you can find it there. Uh, It'll also be on the screen behind me. So uh, last week we began a new sermon series. A lot of you are here and it's titled God Is. And over the course of about five weeks, we're looking at what is the character of God. And last week, uh, as part of the message, I shared with you some of the um, kind of misunderstandings or misviews, wrong views, incorrect views of God that we have. And one of those is that God is a killjoy. He doesn't want us to have any fun. And I showed a meme that looks uh, like this. I showed this last week. Uh, I once had fun, but it was a horrible, and it came from a cat. And, uh, and in the message last week, Uh, I may have actually said something along the lines of God likes dogs a lot better than cats or something like that. And so uh, this week I received a number of letters in my mailbox. Uh, And I kid you not, when I say a lot of, I got, I think at least five here at the office and at least five at home. And these are letters addressed apparently from cats who were not happy with the fact that I said that God likes dogs better than cats. And so they're addressed from uh, cats like Simba, Thor, Tabby, Santa Claus, C-L-A-W-S, Mr. Paws, Sylvester, and Whiskers, right? And there's another five or six in my office. And so, but in each one of these, there is a meme that was attached, right? And so uh, I open up the first one, and it's this one, right? Apparently, the, the cat lovers of this world are mad at me because I'm a hater, right? Haters going to hate. Uh, and then I opened up, and it wasn't the second one, but this is the second or third one, third or fourth one. Uh, it was this one that said, if there is a God, he must believe in love for he created the cat. And so, wah, 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 cats, whatever. <laughs> however, however, I do need to say this, that I had fully intended to come this morning and to continue on my dogs are better than cats rant. However, uh, when I got home yesterday, there was another, yet another envelope from, I don't know, Whiskers or Simba or Sylvester, and I opened it up, and there was a meme that convinced me that I might be wrong. And here's the meme that it was, is proof that cats rule the world. (laughs) That's just... So I will we'll at least put cats on equal footings with dogs. So there we go. Uh, but if you missed last week, apparently you missed some fun, but we caught up today. Uh, but here's the thing is, we talked about this idea last week that good relationships cannot be built on wrong assumptions. And so if you want to have a good relationship with somebody that you're interested in dating or if your husband or wife or if you want to have a good relationship with another person or friendship, you can't build a good relationship on a false assumption about that person. And the same is true as we talk about a relationship with God. That you can't build a good relationship with God if it is built on false assumptions about who God is. And so over the course of this series, what we're doing is we're talking about 
Who is God? What is God's character in understanding that? What is God's true character? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you all work out like at a gym or a fitness center at home? How many of you guys work out or ladies work out? Raise your hand. Okay. A lot of you do. How, now, how many of you all have ever done free weights, like the free weights kind of thing in your life? Okay. Okay, a lot of you. Now, how many of you have ever done, I think it's called a bench press or it's called something else, but where you lie under it and you put the weights and then you lift it up and you do reps like that. How many of you ever done those kinds of free weights? Okay. If you look at my body, clearly I don't do that. Okay. Clearly I don't do any of that. Um, I have been in that room on my way to the treadmill on the other side uh, of the YMCA, but I, I don't typically lift weights. But a number of years ago, I was getting to this guy, and he's like, yeah, you should give it a try. And so I decided, okay, I'll, I'll try and do the bench press thing. And so uh, I figure, I'm like, how much are these weights? The 50 pounds. I'm like, I could probably bench press 100 pounds. I'll be good with that. So I, I put it on the end of the bar, and I lie down. It's in the little, like, kind of holder thing, right? And so I lift it up, pull it out a little bit, and it immediately, like, drops right on my chest. I'm like, Oh, I'm way over my head here. And, I, and it's like kind of halfway between my chest and my neck, and I'm pushing, and I cannot get this thing up. I mean, I'm in some serious trouble here. And so I yell what I've heard people yell occasionally in gyms, spot! So my buddy comes over, and he lifts the bar up and puts it over. And I'm like, how is it that I can't even bench press 100 pounds? What kind of weakling am I? And he goes, oh, yeah, the bar weighs 45 pounds. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm just sort of a weakling, not a total weakling. But... Here I was with this bar pinned against my neck, feeling like I cannot get out. I couldn't figure out how to tip the weight. And so I yelled spot because I needed to get out of this difficult situation. And sometimes life feels like that, where the weight of the world is coming down on us, where everything is just feeling like it's a weight on top of us. And we want to just yell, spot, rescue me. I need some help. And we get in those situations for all kinds of different reasons. Sometimes we get there because we're just overworked and over busy, and we just get overwhelmed, and we get in the situation where we need to yell, spot, because we need some help. You know, sometimes we get there because of choices that we've made. We make bad choice after bad choice, or one huge bad choice, and we end up feeling like I did that day in the gym where I'm just like struggling to get this thing off, and I have to yell, spot. I need some help. And sometimes we end up in situations like that just because life happens. Somebody else did something and we end up in this place. Or we're dealing with an illness or an aging parent or kids that are wayward. And we just feel in this place that we are just completely overwhelmed. And we want to yell, spot, because we need some help. And so here's the question that I want us to wrestle with today. When that happens in life, when you feel completely overwhelmed, what is your response? What do you do in that time? Because there's all kinds of different places that we turn for help when that happens. You know, sometimes we turn to the refrigerator. You know, when life gets tough, we just kind of eat and that's our comfort. Sometimes when life gets hard, we exercise. I just need to get a good run in and then everything will be okay. Just need to get a workout in and then everything will be okay. Or we turn to alcohol. Man, I just, just need a bottle of wine. Just need a good stiff drink and then everything will be okay. Or sometimes we turn to stuff that's a lot more dangerous than that. We turn to drugs. 
we turn to pornography, or we turn to complete isolation because life is too hard, or we just give up all hope. I want you to think about maybe what you're going through now or something you've been through in the recent past. And when that happened, when life became overwhelming for you, what did you turn to? What did you look towards? Because whatever you look at at that moment is what is your refuge. And there's all kinds of refuges that we look at. But what we're going to talk about this morning is what does it mean that God is our refuge? Psalm 46, verse 1, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. That God is our refuge. When we get to that point, we go, spot, I need some help. And that God is there to be our refuge. But here's the thing that's a little different between God is our refuge, God is my refuge, and these other things that we can turn to, that all the other things that we can turn to, and some are okay, and some are destructive, and some are really awful, but all the other things, none of those things can help us. The best they can do is numb the pain a little bit. The best they can do is put whatever it is off a little bit. You see, only God can change our hearts. Only God can change our circumstances. Only the God who is our refuge can really make a lasting change in our lives. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what does it mean for God to be our refuge. Now, in Psalm 71, if you haven't turned there already, turn there now. It says this, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame says that I look to you as my refuge, God. And then what follows in the next 24 verses is that it's a description of God being our refuge. What does it mean in a practical kind of way that he's our refuge in terms of his character? And then also, what does it mean for us as we look to him as our refuge? So this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different for the next 15 or 20 minutes. It's different than we've ever done here before, but bear with me. I think you will enjoy this exercise. Um, So here's what I need to do. If you are sitting on the right side of any of the four sections, reach under your chair and there is a notebook. It's a steno notebook that will look something like this. If you're sitting in the middle, there's nobody on the end, kind of scooch over there and grab that. Okay, grab that. And what I want you to do is open it up to the first page, tear out a page, and then pass the notebook, and the next person tears out a page, and go all the way down to the end of the road this way, okay? So in a minute or so, everybody should have uh, a notebook piece of paper. Good. I hear tearing and ripping going on. That's a good sign. You're following instructions. Hopefully, you will be that good with signing up for Churches Left the Building. Okay. Now, here's, I want to tell you what we're doing and why we're doing this. So uh, the why, first of all, this is um, we're going to take notes in a little bit different way. Uh, but this week, as I was reading and studying this, I got to verse 3 of Psalm 1, and it says this, Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. And that phrase, continually come, jumped off the page at me. Because I realize, as I've had conversations with you about River Ridge and about coming to church, that many of you come to church and you say, man, I feel so encouraged. Or I'll give a message like this, and you're like, man, I was really going through this or that. And that was so encouraging to hear that God is my refuge or God is my rock or whatever the message tends to be around a topic like this. 
And then I read this, and it says that I can continually come to God as my refuge, that we don't have to wait until Sunday to get with God. We don't have to wait for a great worship set or a message that touches our heart in order to continually come to God as our refuge. And so what I want us to do this morning is is I want to help you to come to God continually as we go through Psalm 71. One of the things that we talk about at River Ridge fairly frequently is that 15 minutes in a chair can change your life. 15 minutes with God daily can change your life, whether you call it a quiet time or a devotion or your Bible time or solitude time or whatever you call it. But spending that 15 minutes a day can make a drastic difference in your life. And so as we go through Psalm 71, we're going to look at what does it mean that God is my refuge. But in doing so, I'm hoping that I can help you to meet with God on a daily basis. And so I read through this, and the first thing uh, that I would do when I would read through something when I'm reading my quiet time is uh, first thing, just write down what I'm reading. So at the top of your outline, write Psalm 71. And so you'll see kind of as I did this myself this week, so Psalm 71, you just write that at the top. And then I would read through the whole psalm and then take note of what jumps out at me. And one of the things that jumped out at me from this particular psalm is that almost every single verse speaks to either this is who God is or this is God's character, this is what God does, or it spoke to this is what I do as a child of God seeking refuge in God. And so the next step is just to write God on one side and me on the other side. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through this and we're going to see this is what God does, this is who God is, and this is what I am and this is what I do. So we go to verse 1. It says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. So the first thing it says that he is called Lord, it's Yahweh. It's this idea when we say Lord, that he is in charge of all things, that we submit to him in all things. So that is part of God's character. He is Yahweh. He is Lord. And then it also says, so there's Lord, and then do I take refuge? So we write that down. We say, take refuge. And what we're going to see as we go through this, and as we go through life, is we always have a choice about whether to take refuge in God or not. Because I mentioned a few things earlier. I said there's a lot of different things that we can go to for our refuge. But the question is, are we going to go to God or not? You know, Because we can hit the gym or we can hit up God for help. You know, we can go and phone a friend or we can get dialed into God. We can hit the fridge or we can hit our knees. We have these options about where are we going to go for our refuge. And our refuge is not where we think we go or we, where we say we go. Our refuge is where we actually go. And so we have this. So on our part, yes, God is our refuge, but he's not our refuge until we take him as our refuge. Every time that we yell spot in life, I'm struggling Where do we go? And we can take God as our refuge. Then verse 2 says, In your righteousness deliver me, rescue me, incline your ear to me, and save me. So in this, there's four different, basically, um, descriptions of what God does. It says, He delivers me, He rescues me, He inclines His ear, or He listens to me, and He saves me. Those are the things that God does. So you can write those on your outline. 
Listen, deliver, serve, or excuse me, uh, save, and rescue. So that's what God does. He does all of those for us. And then again, remember what we talked about, this idea, and it comes up here that when we seek God as our refuge, he can do for us what these other things can't. They can make a difference and change our circumstances. Then the next one is back on our column, and it's just the word pray. And I put the word pray there. It doesn't actually appear in here, but it says, incline your ear to me. So what we do is we pray, and we say, God, I need your help in this circumstance. I need your help in this situation. And then the description of uh, God is that he is righteous. He is righteous. And what that means is that God is perfectly holy. God knows everything that we need. And we're going to hit on that in a little bit as we come to some other words. But understand that that's the character of God. So we write that down, that he is righteous. Then we get to verse Three. And again, this is the prayer that the psalmist is praying. And most likely it's David, but we don't know that for sure. But we can kind of see from the context clues. But he says, Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. So, description of God He is a rock. And so you, you write that down. And, you know, and when I think about rock, how many of you have ever seen um, Bear Grylls or one of the Man vs. Wild shows? Anybody see that? Any of those survival shows? They show these people, and they're out there in the world trying to survive the elements, and they have to spend the night. But one of the things that, that they always talk about and that they always do is they try and find shelter or a refuge in the elements, but they try and find a cave if there's one nearby. And they'll often you know, cut branches and, and you know, kind of create a branch or a tree type of shelter, but if they can, they want to create a rock-based shelter. And so they'll find a cave, they'll lean trees against a rock because it's more sturdy. And for me, that's a great picture that God is a rock. He is immovable. You know, so many other people in our lives are not reliable. But God is the rock, the refuge who is trustworthy in all of that. And then it says, and that's, this is the phrase that I pointed out at the beginning, um, it says that I may continually come. And here's the thing about God. When we talk about it, he invites us to continually come, we can come to him with the big stuff. And when life gets too hard, when we're kind of like the guy at the bench press yelling, spot, I need some help, then we, we go to God. But here's the great thing about God as our refuge is that we can go to him over big stuff, but we can also go over small stuff. We don't have to wait until life gets out of control to turn to God. You know, the other part of it is when we talk about continually coming, part of God being our refuge is that we continually come. In other words, that we seek him day after day after day as we are in prayer to him, as we're bringing this prayer concern, whatever our issue is before him. And part of the, him being a refuge is just the fact that we are in his presence. And so we come to him continually. And then there's this other word in here. I didn't write this on my outline, um, the note thing, but if you want to circle this, and it's the word may, to which I may come. In other words, that speaks to the character of God, that God is a God who invites us. He doesn't say, ah, your problems are too small for me. Ah, figure it out yourself. That when we call on God, 
he answers us, that we continually come to him. And I thought about it in these terms this week, is uh, when you get a phone call, right, your cell phone rings, and you look at it, what's the first thing you do when you pick up your phone? You look at caller ID, and you see who it is that's calling, right? And I realize, for those of you who are younger, this is going to sound really foreign, but there was a time when to find out who was calling, you actually had to answer the phone before caller ID on every phone. I realize that's a foreign concept to some of you. But here's the thing is, when I, when, when I get a phone call, I look at it, and the call comes in, and I make a decision. I see who's calling, and I go, no, I don't really want to talk to them right now. Or I go, who's calling? Oh, I want to talk to them. And I make that choice, am I going to talk to them and respond or not? And here's the great thing about God, is that God picks up the phone every time. Every time you reach out to him as your refuge, every time he picks up the phone, he answers you. Because that's the kind of God that he is. He invites you to continually call on him. Then it continues on in verse 4. It says, Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the hand of the unjust and cruel man. So we can see here that David, assuming it's David, and it's a good assumption, is referring to somebody specific, that there's a cruel man who is after him. And this happened a couple times in his life. It could have been Saul. Most likely it was Absalom who was after him and trying to get after him in an unjust way. But we read that, and for me, and again, when you read the Bible, look at it as a mirror and say, what's this reflection on in my life? And so David said, okay, there's a person here who's cruel in my life. This is the problem. And so we would look at our lives and we say, what is it that you're dealing with now? What's the difficult thing in your life that you want God to respond to? And to write that down in your journal, write that down in whatever you're taking notes in, and you would write that down. I didn't write this down in mine here that I'm showing publicly, but as I go through this, I go, there's some people, there's some difficult things that I need rescued from, that I need God to be my refuge then it continues on, and it says, For you, O Lord, my hope, my trust, O my Lord, from my youth. And if, you know, in a paper Bible, I would underline or highlight the word my. It appears three times. It's this idea of taking him as my hope and my trust. But from this, we learn more about God's character, that he provides hope and that he is trustworthy. Now, as you think about this, um, The thing about God is that He is trustworthy towards us. And we don't always see that, but this is the truth about God, that He is trustworthy. And the more that we understand that He is trustworthy, the more that we will go to Him as our refuge. If we don't see Him as trustworthy, then we don't go to Him as our refuge and our hope. And one of the reasons, I'm just being honest here, one of the reasons that we don't go to him as our trust and our hope is because we don't think that he answers our prayers. But the fact is, if we understand that he is our hope and our trust, we'll understand that he's answering our prayers in maybe a way that we don't understand. I was listening to a podcast this week, and the person being interviewed was a woman named Lisa Turkhurst. And she's written a number of books, and she's the Proverbs 31 kind of spokesperson. And she was um, answering some questions about an illness that she had. 
And so what happened is she woke up one morning and she had this incredibly intense pain. It was so bad it had her doubled over and she went to the hospital. And, you know, what happened for minutes ran into hours and hours ran into days. And she had this excruciating pain that she could not get rid of. And so she and her husband and her pastor, and they're all praying, God, take away the pain. God, take away the pain. God, take away the pain. And God didn't take away the pain. And she describes the pain in such an anguishing way that she's going, how could a God who loves me not take away this pain from my life? And she was just exasperated with this. And they brought in doctors who couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. Finally, she was there for a few days, and a different doctor came in with a different diagnosis. And he said, the problem is, is that your colon is being disconnected from your stomach. And that's why there's this pain that you're feeling. And so the doctor did an operation, they repaired it. And a couple of days later, uh, Lisa Turkers is in a conversation with the doctor about the pain that she was in. And the doctor said this, he said, the pain that you felt saved your life. Because if you hadn't had that pain, if you didn't have that pain, then you would have gone home and everything would have ruptured inside of you and you would have been dead for sure. And so Lisa reflected back on that and said, I was praying that God would take away the pain, but he didn't. I was so upset because God didn't answer the way I wanted him to answer. But yet, because God didn't take away the pain, God saved her life. And I share that with you because God is trustworthy. We don't always see what's happening. We don't always understand what he's doing. But God is trustworthy, and he is the hope that can change our circumstances, but that he can also change our lives. Because sometimes we go through these storms of life, and God rescues us from the storm. He takes us out of the storm. That's the way he's our refuge. But other times we go through the storms of life, and he protects us from the storm, but we still have to endure the storm that we go through. And the end of this verse says, from my youth. And that's the last, that's the next little part we're going to write, is, O Lord, from my youth. And then it continues on into the next verse. It says, upon you have I leaned from before my birth. You are he who took from me my, took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually on you. Now, I, I read this, and, I, and again, when, I, when I'm going through and reading the Bible, I'll ask questions. I'm like, that's kind of weird. And I read this, and it says, upon you I have leaned from before my birth. And I go, how could David or the psalmist, whoever wrote this, or anybody, how can you lean on God before your birth? Because you're not alive. You don't make decisions before you're alive. You say, why is that in there? And here is why that's in there. Because David is making a point about the character of God. And the character of God is that God is at work before we ever even ask him. That God is at work before we call on him. That God is at work from when I was a youth. God was at work in our lives when we were in the womb. We just didn't know it. And so David is recognizing that as a part of his life. He's saying, God has been faithful in the past, and God will be faithful in the future. If you want to know, how do I take God as my refuge? A practical thing is look at the past and say, how has God been faithful in the past? And he'll be faithful in my future as well. Then verse 7, I have 
been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. So I don't know what portent means. Does anybody know what that means? Okay, I had to look it up. Uh, And it basically means in this context, it means an exceptional person. And so again, that gives credence to why this is probably David. He's saying, I was an exceptional person and many people came to me for help. But the help they could get from me is nothing compared to you, God, who are the strong refuge. And so we can go to people, and that's okay to get some counsel and encouragement from people, but ultimately it's God who we look at. Then it says this in verse 18. Excuse me, um, yes, verse 8. It says, My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. And over a couple other times it talks about praise and talks about thanks in the rest of this psalm. But part of God being our refuge is that we go to him and we say, this is my stuff, this is before, but in going to him, we also, our job is to praise God for what is around us, to thank God for what is going on in our lives. Because oftentimes when we feel like we're going through the thick of it, when we feel like we're at that bar going, spot, spot, I'm struggling. When we get to that point, we go, this is all I can focus on. But a lot of times there's other stuff in our lives that is good stuff, and we can give God praise and thanks for that as we go through some of these difficult times. So I'm going to stop there, but I encourage you, continue to read the rest of Psalm 71 and write down, keep the columns going. What do you learn about God? What do you learn about yourself? And then I want to give you an assignment to do. There's two other Psalms that are God is my refuge Psalms. Psalm 16 starts out the same way, the Lord is my refuge. And then Psalm 46 starts out, the Lord is my refuge. Um, And I encourage you to read those two sometime during the course of this week. Have a journal, have a piece of paper, and just write down what do you learn about God being your refuge. I want to close with this final thought. Next week, we're not going to be here. We're going out and we're going to serve in the community. And why do we do that? You know, what we've talked about this week what we've talked about last week, God is love. God is our refuge. Two weeks from today, we're going to talk about God is speaking in my life. As we talk about these things, these are things that we know about who God is. But there are hundreds, there are thousands of people in the community that don't know what we know. They don't know the truth about God. And so we go to the community and we serve and we're going to spread mulch and we're going to paint and we're going to fix things and we're going to make food. And that's awesome. But why we do that is because we want people to understand the God that we know. It is a God who loves them unconditionally. It's a God that they can take refuge in when life gets hard. Because there's thousands and thousands of people in our community who have no idea about that. No idea that that's who God is. And so we go and we serve and we love so that they can see the God that we know. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are our refuge and you invite us to come and to be with you, that you invite us to take you as our refuge. God, I pray that we would do that not just today, not just on Sundays, but that we would continually seek you. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.